Well, good morning, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Truckers Podcast, FYI. I'm your host, Doug, from Ontario, Canada. It is 9.30 a.m. here on December the 17th. Gun laws in the United States and Canada. And what is the comparison? Thank you for joining me. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, this fine Saturday morning. I hope everybody has a good start to the weekend, and that everybody had a really good week. So I was out here uh, yesterday morning because I did have the day off, and I started a show around 9.30 in the morning, and of course, I get a really important phone call that I had to take. So I could not finish that show yesterday morning. So this is a redo from yesterday morning. Thank you for joining me this morning. I hope you're, uh, I hope you have a good start to your weekend. Saturday morning here, December the 17th at 9.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. So I wanted to talk about the gun laws in the United States and Canada and what is the comparison because here in Canada, we do have a ban on certain weapons in Canada. And most recently, we have a ban on all handguns. So a comparison of gun laws in the United States and Canada. Now Canada and the United States are often perceived as culturally similar countries. And there are many differences, obviously, including their laws. Popular culture has affected the general pop. Uh, populist understanding of U.S. laws, particularly those that are firearm related. And consequently, individuals are misguided and even confuse them with Canadian gun laws. So, an individual in Canada wants to get a gun license, they want to purchase a gun there is a waiting period. Now, both Canada and American laws allow residents to purchase a handgun, but both countries have different processes. So here in Canada, there is a 60-day waiting period after the purchase of a gun. This period gives Canada, Canadian government, time to conduct a background check confirming the individual's legal status to purchase a gun. The United States does not have a waiting period. American residents can purchase a gun 
once a background check has been completed. Now, these background checks, the Canadian government conducts a a background check on individuals who apply for a gun license and who uh, buy a gun from any type of a retailer. And these checks involve the verification of the individual's mental health and addictions. The background checks um, will communicate with the applicant's spouse and family. The United States government also performs federal background checks on planned legitimate transactions, e.g. gun shows, will not be looked into. And of course, we have a license and registration requirements. A safety course is mandatory here in Canada if a Canadian resident wants to own a gun. And they must pass both sections of the, of the exam, which is composed of a written and a practical experience section. And the license expires five years after the exam. Canadian residents cannot own automatic weapons. Handguns with a barrel shorter than 10.5 centimeters. And and when when I say handguns, we do now. That's um, just come into law. All handguns are banned. A modified handgun, rifle, or shotgun, and both semi-automatic weapons. Registration of restricted firearms, but that doesn't matter anyways because these restricted firearms that I just mentioned are banned. Now... In the United States, they have the right to bear arms. Here in Canada, there is no fundamental right to to possess firearms in Canada. In fact, it's a privilege. Just like you go get a driver's license when you're 16 years old. It's not a right to drive. It's a privilege. Right? So, obviously the United States have the right to bear arms and it's enshrined in the state's constitution. Rather than being constitutional right, it's considered a privilege in Canada. And the right, so the term the right to bear arms is a distinctly American one and does not apply to all North America countries. And those convicted of a firearm related offense in Canada can often, they, they, I mean, so after, you know, if you do like anything like else, I mean, if you break the law, you get a criminal record, you can apply for a pardon. Doesn't mean you're going to get one. You can be turned down. Now, 
recently. with the ban on handguns. This was back in, um, started back in October. So Canada's new nationwide handgun sales ban is in effect. This ban is Canada's latest move to reduce gun violence and slow the number of handguns in circulation. So the ban will bar anyone from buying, selling, or transferring handguns within Canada, and it will stop people from bringing new handguns into the country. And he said, goes for this, like, like for the same for the, for the gun retailers, they cannot import handguns from anywhere from around the world. See, our government feels that, and, and everybody that, you know, we have the right to feel safe in our homes and in our schools. And in their in their places of worship, we're not perfect here in Canada when it comes to gun violence. We've had our share of gun violence in this country, and from our, our border agencies to all our, our police services all over the country. They do the best they can to remove handguns or any weapons from people, criminals, the best they can. Now, The rightful, like for for legal gun owners, you know, using you know, using their firearms, you know, for sports shooting and hunting. There is no reason anyone in Canada should need a gun in their everyday lives. Now, what the Canadian government also wants to wants to do this um, I believe it's Bill C-21 that they are um, I'm sorry it was yeah it is Bill C-21 um, the amendments that the government wants to make to this. Good morning. Thank you for joining me this morning. Bill C-21 
Um, so people, you know, like the rural farmers and hunters, you know, they feel that this amendment, some of the amendments they want to make to Bill C-21 amendments could impact rural farmers and hunters. So the, 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 the liberal federal government brought forward several proposed amendments to its gun control legislation, Bill C-21, in late November, which could potentially lead to many rifles and shotguns commonly used for hunting prohibited. And one major change in the proposed amendments would add a definition for assault-style firearms, which is currently not defined in Canadian law, and would also include a clause to ban any long gun capable of accepting a detachable magazine able to hold more than five rounds of ammunition. That would be an assault rifle. A shotgun for hunting, like a 12 gauge, a 22, a 410. They're not capable of accepting a detachable magazine. So these gun owners, I don't know what their complaint is. I don't know how they think that this is going to affect them having a rifle for hunting or sports shooting. One says it's deeply problematic and in itself, he says it adds there's no there there is there were no significant problems with the bill even before the proposed amendments were were dropped on the table on the eleventh hour, and that the proposed amendments are a backhanded, undemocratic approach by the liberal government. I don't understand how that is. I don't know what they're missing here. So a bunch of firearms meant for hunting and farmers to protect their property and sports shooters, these are important activities for hunters and farmers. Yeah, and they don't need a and they don't need a weapon that can accept a cartridge of more than five bullets. So how is that problematic? And for farmers to protect their property, I mean, that's from, you know, if you, if you're a chicken farmer or whatever the case may be, you know, you keep the coyotes, keep, try to keep the coyotes away or whatever the case may be. You know, farmers are not going to shoot somebody just because they trespassed on their property. They certainly don't need a, a weapon that's capable of, of having, you know, a cartridge.
Now, this BC, this BC, uh, C-20 was initially meant to ban handguns. And it was a bid to reduce um, violent gun crimes. You know, so the, the, these gun owners, you know, it just seems every time that, you know, the government talks about banning certain weapons, you know, they always feel that they're being targeted because, you know, they're a gun owner. We don't have the right to bear arms in Canada. It's a privilege. We're not the United States. We're not the Wild West. We don't have the right to bear arms in Canada. Just like a driver's license. Right? You don't have the right to drive. It's a privilege. And just like your charter, your, our charter of rights and freedoms in this country, your charter rights and freedoms are not absolute. You know, I don't, you know, gun owners can complain all they want. I really don't care. But when they come up, um, you know, with, with remarks of that, oh, you know, the farmers, you know, it could, it could impact the rural farmers and hunters. No, it's not going to impact the rural hunters and farmers. It's not going to, or farmers and hunters, it's not going to impact them whatsoever. The fact is, you don't need a gun that can accept a magazine. You know, it's just absolutely, it's just absolutely just like that. You know, it's almost, you know, think they, they think it's, it's all about them and nobody else. Now, You know, North America does have a gun problem. Now, here's an opinion. There should be one and only one gall, one one gun law in the United States and Canada that fixes all gun-related crimes. If any American or Canadian is found guilty of committing any crime using any type of firearms, this is not my opinion. I'm just reading this opinion. 
They should be sent to prison forever with no parole. Not for life, but forever. Wasting government time in the courts and arguing about what is what is a good law or bad law and punishing law-abiding gun owners would stop. This alone, this lone gun law, firearm-related crimes should plummet and every American and Canadian citizen could live happily ever after. And for that matter, if crimes committed by, by knives increased because of the heavy-handed law, then the word knife could be substituted for the word firearm and these and these perpetrators could be sent to prison forever too. That's not my opinion. I'm just reading this opinion, right? I mean, people feel that way. My opinion is that the only people that should be, be, be uh, bearing arms is the police and military. We've had our share of mass shootings here in Canada, but not comparable to the United States. Far more mass shootings in the United States than here in Canada. It almost seems every time you turn around, there's another school shooting. Somebody opened fire in a shopping mall or a Walmart. And then, of course, when the United States government talks about banning weapons and certain weapons, stuff like that, you know, well, United States, you have the right to bear arms. You don't have to go through the rigorous tests that Canadians have to go through in order to just get a gun license. Now, with this talking about, you know, guns that can accept a magazine, Now in Alberta, with their new premier, their their, their, their sovereignty act as, as though they're they're acting or or you know thinking that you know they're separate from Canada and you know they're going to challenge and and um, not you know follow any federal law, you know. It's going to cause a problem for Alberta. 
so the Alberta government is taking over prosecutions of federal firearm charges and even decide not to take offenders to court in his fight over Ottawa's proposed amendments to Bill C-21. These are federal laws and that means that includes the entire country. And if Alberta or any other province in this in this country doesn't like it, too goddamn bad. Right. It's up to the. It's up to. It's up to the Crown Prosecution that would assume responsibility of prosecutions. Not the government. You know, so... Any and so anything like like so this individual says uh, he's, he's an advisory document for Alberta prosecutor to use when deciding whether to pursue a firearm charge. And the protocol says that it isn't in the public's interest to prosecute someone who isn't facing any other charges and obtain their gun legally before it became prohibited. Nine types of firearms became prohibited on that date, including the AR-15 and its variants. And again, this individual says that the ban targets hunters, farmers, and sports shooters who legally own their guns. He said the federal government is targeting Western Canadians and, and sowing division. That is just a bunch of crock of shit. Is what that is. And that's what I say. That's what I said. Farmers, sports shooters, hunters, you know, they feel that their backs are against the wall because the government has made amendments or wants to make amendments to Bill C-21 to ban any weapon that can accept a cartridge of more than five rounds of ammunition. I don't know what that part they don't understand. So when he's talking about, so the weapons that are banned currently, like all these, any style assault weapons, handguns. Now, before the handgun ban went into effect, you know, gun owners, legal gun owners would buy the handguns. Does it make any sense to put a ban on a certain weapon and say that ban comes into effect four weeks from now? So the legal gun owners buys those weapons and then the ban goes into effect. 
wouldn't you think they would have it effective immediately? So any guns, any handguns bought before the deadline, the legal gun owners can have them. Any time after that date of the ban, you cannot buy, sell, trade, import any handguns. Now, when they're, when they're, you know, um, so this federal justice minister, um, so he had received um, this, this individual's uncharacteristically short letter, and he said, you need more time to understand what Alberta is trying to do. What Alberta is trying to do is not follow federal law. Now, the Crown, you know, as for what it would, um, comes to, so the, the federal justice minister, and as for these issues of Crown prosecutors not prosecuting gun procession charges, he says that he expects the police to lay charges and the prosecutors to pursue those, those cases throughout the courts. And it would be extraordinary if they made unilateral decisions not to enforce the law. And that would only offend the Constitution, but also offend the rule of law. With this sovereignty, I don't know, Alberta, I mean, they just, you know, with their new premier they have right now, you know, putting in this, some sort of the sovereignty act that they'll, they'll challenge any federal law that they seem, you know, necessary that they feel that will, will or would harm, harm their, their province. You know, it's going to be quite interesting and, 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 you know, especially, you know, when one person is saying that, you know, we're not, we're not going to, you know, prosecute, you know, these gun owners or whatever the case may be. When in fact, if you now are caught with a weapon that is capable of accepting a magazine, it is not legal. You can be charged, whether you're a legal gun owner or not. Assault-style weapons are banned here in Canada. And so are handguns. Now, constitutional conflict
uh, this individual says um, provinces, uh, you know, said provinces have declined to prosecute federal laws before. Quebec declining to prosecute abortion cases in the 1970s, 1980s. And that is so irrelevant, it isn't funny. And in most cases, well-known examples, right? So we're not, we're not talking about what Quebec, you know, for Quebec declining to prosecute abortion cases in 1970, 1980. That, that is so irrelevant. It, it's just, it's an ex- so, so what they're using, but it's just so irrelevant. To when, to when it comes to weapons or when it comes to choice. Provinces, um, provinces decided not to prosecute charges laid under the federal legislation can't stop the federal government from doing it itself. So if the province you're not going to prosecute or lay any charges, the federal government can. Now, he, he's saying here that certainly the provinces can decline to enforce federal laws but there's a limit on how far they can go and they can't prevent the federal government from doing that work. And this is the first time um, this individual from Alberta has pushed back against the federal gun ban. You know, in September, this individual said Alberta would not allow RCMP officers assigned to local policing to participate in in the gun confiscation program. And the federal government is allowing owners of prohibited firearms to turn them in without any penalty by October the 30th, 2023. And this individual thinks that the federal government will extend the amnesty period because they don't have the resources to confiscate hundreds of thousands of guns. Wait. Turn them in yourself. Don't worry about it. It's not like the provinces can turn around and use the notwithstanding clause because we don't have the right to bear arms in this country. So, like I say, the provinces can decline to enforce the federal laws, but there is a limit on how far they can go. And they can't prevent the federal government from doing that work. So they can say, oh, we're not going to send our police officers out there if people are not going to be turning in the prohibited weapons and, and stuff like that. The federal government will do it for you. You know, just like, you know, just like, uh, you know, back in January and February, you know, with the so-called Freedom Convoy, you know, the province of Ontario, you know, the city of Ottawa, you know, or Ottawa, the capital of Canada, you know, it came to the point where they just could not deal with that situation in Ottawa, the province 
could not fully deal with that problem in Ottawa of the blockades. So the only resource that was left was to invoke the Federal Emergency Act. And what the Ottawa Police Services couldn't do, the federal government did, and they did it within a matter of days. Hunters, farmers, sports shooters, you know, they all, you know, have that privilege, right? They don't have the right. They have that privilege of owning a gun for hunting, for sports shooting. Keep other animals away from your livestock as a farmer. We also gun laws in this country is storage of your firearm. That all ammunition to be locked up. Your firearms that the firing pin must be removed and locked up. Can't be hanging on the wall on a gun rack in your living room. It's gotta be out of sight, out of mind. Locked up and that's the law. It's not a trophy. Don't just hang it on the wall. It's not a trophy. So when I was a kid, you know, my dad used to hunt. You know, I'm going like way back early 70s. You know, my dad used to hunt. You know, my mom didn't like the fact that, you know, we had guns in the house. You know, but he eventually, you know, did get rid of them and that. So, you know, but, uh, huh, didn't connect. That's okay. Yeah, so, you know, it's, you know, don't be confused by, you know, Canada's and the United States when it comes to the gun laws, because there is no comparison. We have tough gun laws in this country.
not so much in the United States, you know, especially when you have the right to bear arms. Try to ban certain weapons in the United States, well, you're just going to have a freaking uproar, you know, because it's the right to bear arms. In some states, in some states in the United States, people um, have the right to carry a concealed weapon. on their person. Michigan comes in mind. Here in Canada, you never, you would never be allowed to carry a concealed weapon, ever. Now, with um, you know this these, these past couple of years, well, to, well, I mean, what the hell has it been now? Like, I mean, we're going almost almost going on three years, I guess March, whenever you know, when everything all went to the shits with the pandemic and stay-at-home orders and shutting down non-essential businesses. Um, the federal government um, is saying that the federal public servants will soon have to return to an in-person office, office work two to three days per week. It's a move that a major public union is calling absolutely disrespectful. How in the hell is that disrespectful that you have to return to the office two to three days per week? First of all, public servants work for me. I'm a taxpayer. I pay government taxes. I expect services. So the government is shifting to a necessary hybrid model. You know, they shifted to the to the a hybrid model during the uh, the pandemic. And, you know, there has been, you know, inconsistencies in the system. Now, so the employees across all departments and the core public servants will be subject to a phased introduction of the return to office plan starting January the 16th. Now, why January the 16th? Because the federal government is now on holidays until the new year. So the plan would be fully implemented by the end of March 2023 and would see employees spending 40 to 60% of their time in the office. 
Now, pre-pandemic, they were in the office every single day, Monday to Friday. So how would this be disrespectful of having federal employees return to the office 40 to 60% of the time? They're in the office Monday to Friday, 8.30 to 4.30, I mean, if children can go back to school Monday to Friday, so can our our public service workers can go back to the office Monday to Friday. I work Monday to Friday, and I have all my life. So this individual, the national president of the Public Service Alliance of Canada, said there had been no there has been absolutely zero consultation on the decision it's absolutely disrespectful to the workers who made sacrifice who made sacrifices for canadians are you fucking kidding me right now they made absolutely you know they they made sacrifices for all canadians what goddamn sacrifices did they make Look at all the sacrifices people had to make for those non-essential workers, businesses that had to shut down because they weren't a grocery store, they weren't a, a, a they weren't a pharmacy. We all made sacrifices. You know, sometimes, you know, ladies and gentlemen, you know, um, I don't necessarily, you know, support unions. You know, every time their contracts come up, you know, it's, you know, obviously um, wages, um, job protection, benefits. In this day and age, there's no such thing as job security. Whether you're in a union or not, if that business decides to shut down or close, you're out of a job. And there's no union in this in, on this planet that's going to protect you. You'll get your severance pay, you'll get your retirement package, and you're out the door. If people don't want to return to the office, and they want to lay on the floor and kick the feet and throw a tantrum, you can be replaced. And that it's absolutely disrespectful to the workers who have made sacrifices for Canadians, that this guy can just kiss my ass. You know, so the government, you know, comes up with this news less than two weeks before the holidays, you know, because just the other day, uh, the, the, the government now is on holidays until the new year. 
Must be nice to have a nice holiday like that. You know, so what they're, so what they're, one of the complaints here is that, so this news coming less than two weeks before the holidays, he says that many parents have been put in a tough position and will be scrambling to find alternate care for their children come January. Well, what the hell did they do before pre-pandemic? When they're in the office, Monday to Friday. I guess they'll just have to do that same thing now, won't they? What they did pre-pandemic. We all made sacrifices, you know, when everything had to shut down, all the non-essential business, all these people who had children, they had to make, you know, to go back to work, they had to make all these alternate changes in order to have people to look after their children if they're not school age yet. They all made those changes. You know, the, 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 these, uh, uh, these workers... You know, they need to put on the big boy pants. Like everybody else. So. The government. You know, said we inform the unions about this new decision from the management that locations of work is a right of the employer and that we will now go to this common approach across the government. And it is the right of the employer to have you return to the office. You don't like it, find another job go find a job that you can work from home every single day go start your own goddamn business and work from home you're in the office pre-pandemic and there's no excuse not to return to the office Well, this other uh, individual, president of the Professional Institute of the Public Service of Canada, she said she is concerned about whether government workplaces can, ac- can accommodate a return to the office en masse. That's why they're saying two to three days of work. They're not saying, okay, everybody all at once return to the office. It's going to be phased in that you're going to be going back to the office as a public servant worker of the federal government. You will be going back full-time in the office Monday to Friday. And they're going to phase it all back in again. Going back two, three times a week. That's just the start. Now, says down here, says, you know, um, 
several possible um, exceptions to the hybrid model, including for people who were hired to work remotely prior to March 6, 2020. Indigenous employees whose location is critical to their identity and workers who are already subject to different arrangements that pre-existed COVID-19. So that meaning these people, if they were hired, you know, remotely, you know, prior to March 16th, well, they've always worked remotely then. It doesn't include them. You know, and I said, you know, sometimes, you know, I don't always, you know, support unions. Um, so back a few weeks ago um, with the uh, teacher's assistant, teacher's assistants and janitors and, and librarians and, and stuff like that, they were, you know, they were in a legal strike position, which, you know, unions if your contract is coming to an end and you don't get a deal right away and you set a deadline to strike, if you don't come up with an arrangement by that deadline, you have the right to strike. So the province of Ontario, the government of Ontario, you know, they didn't come up to come out to any sort of an arrangement. So They go on strike. Well, the provincial government didn't like that. So they they invoked the notwithstanding clause in the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, which what that does, it takes your right away, it takes your right away to strike. It takes your right away for collective bargaining. The government imposes a contract upon you and that was wrong. I supported the teachers union because this notwithstanding clause in the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, in my opinion, should be removed. If you if, you know, if government, I mean, government's made the, you know, the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. And if, if, you know, so the, all the provinces and territories said, well, we want a notwithstanding clause, just in case there's something in, in the Charter of Rights and Freedoms that we feel that necessary to change, it would take that right away from somebody. Oh, we're not going to agree to this. See, the Charter of Rights and Freedom replaces replaces the Constitution. I supported the teachers' union because what the government did. So at the end of the day, in order to get them back to the table, the government withdrew the notwithstanding clause. 
and they got back to the table. Kids got back into the classroom. They hammered out a deal. It's not exactly, you know, what, what, what the, what the union wanted, but they got something, you know, you have 55,000 support workers for teachers. You know, they originally wanted $3 and 25 cents per hour every year for four years for 55,000 workers. They settled for a dollar an hour raise. Why didn't you just do that to begin with? I don't know. It would have saved a lot of headaches. You know, the provincial government wouldn't have, uh, you know, invoked the, the uh, notwithstanding clause. But when it comes to this sort of thing, when, you know, public servants, you know, how, you know, them returning to the office to win, to do in-person office work two to three days per, per week, you know, the public union is calling it absolutely dis, disrespectful. I have a problem with that. Like I said, if you don't like it, and if these, if these, these are federal public servants, if they don't like it, then go get another goddamn job. And the unions don't like it. Kiss my ass. Everybody made sacrifices. Everybody makes sacrifices every single day. I don't know what unions think sometimes. I know they, 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 they flex their muscles, you know. And eventually they back down. Because they don't have a leg to stand on. So they can flex their muscles all they want. This is going to take place starting in the new year that they will be returning two to three days per week. I don't know. Get your grandmother to watch your kids. Get your parents to watch your kids. These public servant workers make enough money. They can afford daycare and babysitters every single day. And they can make those arrangements and they have plenty of time to do it because this is only the 17th of December. And they're not talking until at least the 16th of January. When the government gets back to work. They have plenty of time to make arrangements. 
we make arrangements for a lot of different things in our lives because we have something to do and we need to get a babysitter. We need someone to watch our kids. We make arrangements. We make do. I mean, are, are, public, are the federal public servants so hard done by? Oh, geez, I got to return to the office again. Oh, damn. I like sitting around my house in my pajamas and working. I don't want to have to get my clothes on in the morning, jump in my car and go to the office two to three days a week. That'd just, just be, just be too much. All of a sudden it's a problem. They've had this, they've had this ability to work from home for over two years and they've become complacent. And now that the federal government says that the federal public services will now have to start returning in the office, now all of a sudden that's a problem. Now, as the union, the leaders, you know, the leaders of the union, maybe not all public servant workers feel that way. Maybe they want to get back into the office. You know, they, they want to stand around the water cooler and gossip. Hang out by the exit doors, stick their head out the door and have a cigarette and, 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 and you know, do what they've always done, you know, for the last 50 years working in the office. Wouldn't you just, I mean, wouldn't you just get tired of being in your house day in, day out, working from home? Wouldn't you want to just get out? You want to get out into the world? You want to get back into that office? You want to see your coworkers again? You know, having that FaceTime when you're having meetings, You're a public servant. That's your job. Your place of work is an office. Not lounging around on your sofa in your PJs working. No, I do not support unions to a degree. So I want to thank you for taking the time to join me this Saturday morning, ladies and gentlemen, here on the Truckers Podcast, FYI. Now, for those, you know, for the last couple of weeks, you know, I've mentioned to, you know, that, um, I do have uh, some short videos up on YouTube. You can go there and check them out. Truckers Podcast FYI. Um, I will be posting short videos up on there for upcoming episodes, you know, as well on uh, the Truckers Podcast FYI. And of course, always put up a show on Podbean. So if you follow me, 
um, you should get a notification that such and such a date and time Chuckers podcast will be starting. Now, I did ask a question the other day. I really didn't get any answers, but you don't have to answer now. You can leave a comment, you know, you can leave a comment at any time. That would you, if, okay, if I were to do a live show, Truckers Podcast, FYI, on YouTube, would you join me? Yes or no? You don't have to answer right now. Like I said, you can, you can leave a comment. I've been contemplating it. I've been thinking about it. Haven't decided yet. But I also, um, you know, doing short, short videos, you know, um, the other day, um, actually I, re I received, I received my, uh, tripod and to do short videos and stuff, um, you know, around my city. And, you know, posting them up on, on YouTube, um, so, you know, the Trucks Podcast, FYI. Um, so, I mean, I did take it out of the package. I did I did set it up and, you know, and, and stuff like that. But I was hoping to do something this morning. But after the show, I have some errands I have to do. And this morning and errands in the afternoon that I have to do. You know, it'd be nice to get it all done in the morning, but it's not possible. Um, so, yeah, just, you know, other ideas, you know, um, that I want to um, hopefully get at and, and hopefully do. So, but until then, you know, when I do make that, when I do make that decision, I will let you know. And of course, you can follow me. You can like, share, comment. So enjoy the rest of your day, ladies and gentlemen. And I will be back out tomorrow morning at 9.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Maybe you can join me. That's great. If you can, I understand. But until then... Enjoy your weekend, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Truckers Podcast, FYI. I'm your host, Doug from Ontario, Canada. Take care, be safe, and thank you.